Oh my gosh, this is really awkward. Awkward. Pretty awkward. It's just all a little bit too awkward. Awkward. And also kind of proud of being awkward. Hashtag awkward. It was really awkward. Awkward. I have awkward vibes in me. A little bit awkward. Very awkward and clumsy. You are so awkward to be around. Pale, awkward young men. So awkward. <laughs> that was very awkward. Which makes things slightly awkward. It's awkward. Uh, that's what makes it a little awkward. Very awkward and very unnatural. I'm like a pretty awkward dude. It's an awkward conversation. <laughs> Uh, the guy that does the moment, uh, that guy makes me laugh every time. I'm just going to throw that out there. That's personally amusing to me. Uh, welcome. Crossroads, this is a great day. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Uh, we got some things to celebrate. Uh, Last weekend in Mishawaka, uh, we, were par we partnered with the city of Mishawaka and had an amazing uh, boobash experience. Uh, yesterday here at Goshen, we, we had at least 5,000 people on our campus for the boobash. And that's happening again at our St. Pete campus today. I mean, it's incredible. All of the entry points, we had people that we've met, families that we've connected with, uh, just exciting to see that happen and to have some invitations already starting uh, to invite people to a changed life. And there is so much to celebrate. Uh, I had kind of teased last week that we would be celebrating today uh, what happened at All In. And full disclosure, this is on me, guys. We did not have the time this week to prepare like we wanted to, to have a moment that you will not forget celebrating. So just know this, next Sunday is Celebration Sunday for a multitude of reasons. Number one, it's Fallback Sunday. We get an extra hour of sleep next Sunday. Who's excited about that? Yeah, that's, that's good. That's a no-brainer. We celebrate that. Um, and then we just hope that it stays that way, that it never goes back. That's my personal prayer. Um, and then secondly, we get to celebrate lives that are changed. We are not having baptisms next week, but we're celebrating stories of lives that have been changed by Jesus. And we should be clapping about that too, because that is amazing. And then finally, we're gonna be celebrating what God has done what he is doing and what he's about to do through the all-in series that we went, the step of generosity that the people of Crossroads that you have taken and celebrating the commitments that have come in because you guys, God is on the move and Crossroads, you are all in. And so we are going to celebrate that in a way that I promise you won't forget for a long, long time. So just come to church, get ready to party uh, next Sunday and invite a friend to join you because who doesn't wanna be at a celebration? It's gonna be a moment you won't forget, all right? So let's do this, let's celebrate and let's bring some people in on the phone, uh, or on the phone, the phone, the fun. Why am I stuck saying the phone? I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, you guys, we have the opportunity today to dive in to an awkward conversation. Who's excited about that? An awkward conversation that we get to have today. And the one we're having today is especially significant because as we lean into the topic of hell, and everybody's like, oh, here we go. The reality is, it all comes back to what am I going to do with Jesus? And we don't like to talk about eternity because that means that we're focusing on the fact that we have died, all right? No one likes to think about their own mortality. I saw a recent survey that, that uh, the results were simple. People, whenever the thought comes across their mind that we are mortal, I am going to take my last breath someday and I'm going to pass from this life to the next. When that thought crosses a person's mind, the average time that a person thinks about that before it becomes too awkward to think about and they have to move on to something different is 15 seconds. That's what we're comfortable with. 15 seconds of thinking about our own mortality and then we change the subject in our mind to something else. 
So if it's 15 seconds is like the, the timetable for when something becomes awkward talking about this, just think how awkward the next 30 minutes are gonna be. It's just gonna be super awkward because we're not relenting. It's too important of a topic to not discuss because our eternity hangs in the balance with the choice of what we do with Jesus. And I just encourage you today to lean in to make sure that you have said yes to Jesus and to take the opportunity to make sure that your relationship with him is up to date. That there's nothing in your life that's a barrier between you and your relationship with him because there's no better thing we can do as a people, as individuals, than to lean into Jesus, to say yes to him today and to make sure that our relationship with him is up to date. Um, before I dive in, I, I do wanna say this. I, as a pastor, I have the opportunities when I, when I sometimes work throughout the week, right? I've been joking recently. People ask me if I only work on Sundays. So they're like, what a great gig. I'm gonna become a pastor and work one hour a week. And I'm like, no, it's three hours a week. It's three services, 8.30, 10, 11.30. But the reality is, you know, the hard stuff happens, you know, during the week. And oftentimes we get asked as pastors to officiate weddings, and those are great. Those are moments of joy and happiness. And then oftentimes we get asked to officiate funerals. And what I discovered personally, and I've found this to be true in a lot of other pastors, is when I first went into ministry, it was a lot more fun to do weddings. Like, oh, I'd much rather do weddings than the awkwardness of a funeral. Because who wants to be surrounded by grieving and sorrow when you can be surrounded by love and joy, all right? Like two separate. But the longer I've been in ministry, the more I've started gravitating toward those moments of the end of life. And, and I'll tell you why. Because as much grief and as much sorrow as there is, as much pain as there is in those moments, people are focused on eternity. People are thinking, you're forced to think about your own mortality. And that question becomes very relevant. What am I doing with Jesus? And so in those moments, we're able to have some really meaningful conversations. And if I'm being really honest, some of the most beautiful moments that I have experienced personally have been at celebrations of life where someone unashamedly loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, loved their neighbors as themselves, and people were able to celebrate that life that was lived for Jesus. There, there is something about a legacy of faith that is passed to that next generation where people can celebrate knowing we are filled with hope, we're gonna be united with that person again in heaven. They love Jesus, there is no question. It is equally disheartening. And it is just absolutely anguish to deal with moments like that where the person who passed hated God, had, had nothing to do with God in their life, rejected him at every turn, was an angry person, was a bitter person, and it's one of those moments where, where no one has anything good to say about that person. I've had to go through those moments. And as great as it is to celebrate a life that was lived well, oh man, it's, it's brutal to celebrate a life that was not. And that all comes back to that reality that what I do with Jesus, that choice that I have to say yes to him, it's the most important choice you will ever make. It's the most important decision that we, that we can have. 
And I just want you to lean in today to what is it that you are going to do with Jesus, because in Jesus, we have hope for a future. Let's talk about eternity for a second. Three key facts that I want to dive into today. Number one is this, everyone will exist eternally, either in heaven or hell. This is something that we see taught throughout scripture. Jesus talks about this personally. There is this reality, there's this teaching in the Bible that when you take your last breath, there is an eternal destiny awaiting you. And if you say yes to Jesus, your eternity is in heaven, a place that God prepares for you that is eternal. And that's why when we talk about taking our last breath as followers of Jesus, the faith that we have, the hope that we have for our future, that's what we have to look forward to, this eternity with Jesus in this place that he is preparing for us. It's an unbelievable opportunity. But if you believe in heaven, you also have to believe in hell because we are taught about both of those things in the same passages of scripture. And that means that the teaching in the Bible is really clear. If you reject Jesus, the eternal destiny, the, the eternity that you endure is in hell, a place that is defined as completely separated from God. And that gets awkward because people don't like to be told, you know, that they're right or wrong, that they need to do something or need to make a choice. But the reality is if eternity hangs in the balance and there's one of two destinations that you have, this choice of what we do with Jesus, it's really, really important. And it might be an awkward conversation, but it's a crucial conversation. It's a conversation we have to have. So number two is this. Your destiny will be determined by what you did with Jesus. Your eternity, whether it's in heaven or hell, it completely depends on you. Because here's the truth, Jesus has paid the price we couldn't pay. He has given us a gift that we could not earn. He's made every possible move toward us so that we could experience life with him. And so that free gift that he offers us, it's, it's on us. Will I accept that? Will I say yes to Jesus? Or I will, will I reject him? That, that's what it comes down to. I believe that when we take our last breath, we will be standing before God, and the first question he asks every one of us is, what did you do with Jesus? It's the most important choice you will ever make. Will you say yes to Jesus? And the final point here, when we talk about eternity, just to set this up today, is that your destiny, your destiny will be impacted by what you did with the gifts that God gave you. This is really important because what it doesn't say in the Bible is that you can earn your way into heaven. I think, I think that's a, a misconception that, that people kind of gravitate toward. Well, if I do more good than bad, I'll be fine. Well, what you do on earth matters. What you do with the gifts that God gives you, it matters. It, it clearly teaches in scripture it, as clearly as this picture of the refiner's fire that when we go stand before God, everything that we did on planet earth, everything that we ever did will be thrown into this refiner's fire and the only thing that will be left are the things that we did that had eternal significance. And we've talked about that recently of, it's really important that this time on earth that I have, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's making sure that I am investing my time in things that have eternal value. Because that's not what earns my way into heaven, but it impacts your eternity in heaven. It's very clear in scripture, Jesus references this multiple times. You are rewarded for what you did with the gifts that God gave you. And so at that level, it does matter. You, you get to spend eternity in, in heaven with Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. But what your eternity looks like is actually impacted by what you do on planet Earth with the gifts that God gave you. And when you think about 
the small blip in eternity that is our life. Man, what we do right now, it matters. It ripples through eternity. And these are really important conversations that we have to make sure that we're staying focused on the things that really matter. To make sure I've said yes to Jesus. To make sure that my relationship with him is up to date. To make sure that I'm investing my time in things that have eternal significance. Because this stuff matters. It, it teaches us in scripture, and we're, we're about to dive into Revelation. Revelation is an interesting book. I mean, honestly. Um, you could have a full understanding of it if you just watch the Left Behind series, but let's dive in a little deeper. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, the book of Revelation, written by John, the disciple that was close to Jesus, one of his closest friends, uh, it's the result of a vision that John re received when he was in exile at the end of his life on the island of Patmos. It's a vision that God gave him of just eternity. The, the end times, it was, it was a vision where he just kind of pulled back the curtain and let John see eternity. And so Revelation is basically John trying his best to describe what he saw. And so a lot of times it's difficult to understand, but a lot of times it explains itself immediately in that passage of scripture. But what's interesting about this is just the revelation that God gives us about our eternal destiny. And in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about this moment where those who have died are standing in judgment. And it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, there are two different moments of judgment. When you, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that moment is for everyone who said yes to Jesus. That moment is where your, your works, everything you did on planet Earth, thrown into the refiner's fire, and whatever you invest in eternity, that's what you are rewarded for. But then there's an entirely different judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And honestly, it's a terrifying description of what takes place. And in Revelation 20, this is what John writes about that. And just, just listen. This is not on the screens today. I just want you to listen and think about this moment. It says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and, and death in the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, this lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is John describing what he sees at this final judgment. And it's a terrifying picture of the setup for an eternity that is separated from God. An eternity that is defined by that rejection of Jesus and all that he has done for us. And honestly, this is the kind of stuff that is, it's truly sobering. Because I don't like to think about this. It's an awkward conversation because I think all of us know people at some level in our lives who've rejected Jesus, who've rejected that message. And I'd like to think that God is gracious, that I mean up until our last breath, people have a chance to say yes to Jesus. I think there's always hope for that kind of a moment. I've witnessed some of those moments that have been beautiful and sacred. But it's awkward. 
Nobody likes to think about that. And I would contend with you today that that's why what we do as a people, as a church, is so incredibly important. When we talk here at Crossroads about our mission is to connect people with Jesus. However, the next few years, we're wanting to invite thousands of people to a changed life, to celebrate a thousand baptisms. This, this matters. These moments shape people's eternal destiny. We're giving people the chance to say yes to Jesus. And I contend with you today that when you say yes to Jesus, you're, you're choosing to follow him, you're choosing to obey his direction for your life. And I believe with all my heart that every directive, every command that God gives us is for our benefit. Here on earth, in this present life, I think the best life is lived following the principles that Jesus teaches us. But it's also what determines our eternal destiny. And we don't like to talk about that. We think about our own mortality for 15 seconds, and that's enough. Let's move on. This is, this is too much. But this matters. It gives a sense of urgency because tomorrow is not a guarantee for anyone. And what we do with Jesus matters. And I think about what, what is heaven like. You know, you think about this judgment, the people, the terror of being thrown into the lake of fire and you know, I'm not trying to scare, <laughs> scare the hell out of you today. I'm not trying to do that. Um, but, but this matters, right? And I think about the juxtaposition of, of what that picture looks like to what John immediately writes after that. He's saying there's this terrifying moment where these people stand before the throne of God. Earth and sky, they flee from the presence. There's nowhere to hide. If they weren't written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, it's this terrifying moment that nobody wants to think about. But then he says, in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I mean, what we see here is this picture of heaven where everything is reimagined. Everything is, is new. So everything that has been broken on this planet by sin, everything that has been corrupted and, and just, it, it's not right. It's not the way that God intended. It's completely reimagined. All things are new and it's can you imagine John, being John and seeing this vision of heaven and trying to describe what God is showing you? Because it says in Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. So God peels back the curtain for John. He shows him this is the picture of heaven. And the only way that John can describe it to us is it's a new heaven, it's a new earth, and it's coming down from God himself like like a bride who is beautifully prepared for her husband on the wedding day. Like that's his only thing to reference. And if you stop and think about it, that, that is a truly, truly beautiful and sacred moment. Again, as a pastor, I get to officiate weddings and funerals, all right? And when I'm officiating a wedding, one of my favorite moments of the wedding is, is when everything begins. As the bridal party starts to come in, the groomsmen are walking the bridesmaids up. They split up and go to their spots. Recently at weddings, I don't know why, this has become a new tradition. The groomsmen are now starting to do different things with the, with the groom. They're like, hey, dude. It's like 
random bro hugs and you know handshakes that they've created. I don't know what's going on there. I don't understand Generation Z yet. So, the, <laughs> and at 44, I'm starting to feel the, the distinct difference between Generation X and the next generation. I am starting to feel old. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> the only thing keeping me young right now is Tom Brady. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> So what happens at a wedding? This, this moment happens, the grooms are coming, the bridesmaid, the wedding party gets all set up, then the flower girl comes up throwing her flowers, then running off an aisle she's not supposed to. It's just, it's, that's always how it goes, it's fun. And then everybody stands, everyone please rise. You know, the back doors open and, and in come the bride, you know, being walked down the aisle by usually her father's walking her down the aisle. And I, I always take that opportunity to just kind of lean into the, to the groom and just say, hey man, this is a moment you will remember for the rest of your life. This is a beautiful and sacred moment. So just enjoy every moment. And that's usually when the groom gets teary-eyed and starts to like lose it a little bit. And then usually the bride, it's when they're doing the vows. Just so you know, if you're placing bets on a wedding, what's gonna happen, that's usually, <laughs> usually what happens. Also, if you're betting on the time, always bet on the under. 15 minutes is as long as it will ever go. Um, so, <laughs> there is this truly beautiful and sacred moment that we all can relate to in some way, whether you've been at a wedding or that was your experience in your wedding. That's an amazing moment. Think about all the work that goes into that wedding dress. There's TV shows about pick that best wedding dress. And it's a terrible show I've watched three minutes of. And all the work that goes into that moment. And that's what John says heaven is like. He's like... <laughs> There's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and, and God has prepared that for us. It's like, it's like a bride at a wedding. That's, that's the best thing he can think of to describe it. Everything is reimagined, everything is made new. That's the place that God is preparing for us, and that's how John's describing it. And then furthermore, you see that everything is restored. It's restored as it was at the beginning of creation. What you see is this picture of peace, of true fellowship between God and man. I mean, it's an unbelievable relationship with God that we were created for at the beginning. We were created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And that all gets restored in heaven. It goes on to say, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I mean, there's something extraordinary to think about that that concept of I am with God, I am in his presence, the way that he intended it for it to be from the very beginning. I mean, we see that in just, just for a brief moment, there's a glimpse in Genesis 1, 2, 3, before the fall of, of this beautiful relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. How is that described? It's, it's described as Adam and Eve created in the image of God and that at every evening at dusk, as the sun is setting, the presence of God, God himself comes and meets with Adam and Eve, he walks with them, he talks with them, he is living life with them. I mean, think about that, how extraordinary that is. The love that God has for us, that he wants to bring us with him. The, the steps that he has taken of sending Jesus to planet Earth to pay the price that only he could pay. 
Everything is restored. I mean, Adam and Eve, they eat from the fruit. Sin enters the world. It destroys everything. That relationship with God is broken. We deal with the fallout, all of the, the consequences of sin that ripple through earth and just break it. The scripture says the earth is groaning under the weight of sin and death and the destruction that comes with that. And God wants to restore that. I mean, just consider what that means and what that looks like. Everything then is renewed. There's no more death. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. All of those things that we struggle with, if God is so powerful, if God loves us so much, why does he allow us to die? Why does he allow us to suffer? Why do I deal with pain? And that wasn't part of his original plan. Sin came into the world, death by sin. We've been dealing with the consequences of that from the beginning of time when, when Adam and Eve made that choice to do their own thing, to live life by their own rules rather than follow what God had told them to do. We brought this on ourselves. And so here it is where, where God has taken every step to make this right and to renew it. And what a beautiful picture this is. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. I mean, this is community, relationship, eternal life with God. It's a beautiful picture of the love that God has for us and, and who he's calling us to be and what he is preparing for us. And I have to think that that, that means something, right? The steps that God has taken so that we can experience this eternal destiny with him. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, life before Jesus, sin separated mankind from God. The way that they were able to make themselves right with God was presenting sacrifices. There had to be blood that was shed to pay the price of sin. And in the Old Covenant, the, the people of God would make these sacrifices. That, were their, that was their customs. Those were the feasts that they had. They would go to the tabernacle, to the temple, to present their sacrifices to God. And that's how they would restore their relationship. It had to happen on an annual basis. And then God says, no, we're not going to live that way anymore. I have a new covenant. I have a better covenant. And that's when he sends Jesus, his own son, to pay that price, to lay himself as the ultimate sacrifice, once and for all. This is the new covenant I give you in my blood. That's what Jesus said. He offers us forgiveness, he offers us freedom. He paid the price by suffering on that cross, by dying on the cross. He paid that price so that we could be forgiven, so we could be set free. And what I do with Jesus, it matters. It determines the, the course of my eternity. And he's preparing a place for us that is unbelievable. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has in store for those who love him. It's going to be an unbelievable place. 
But then there's that shift. In verse 8, it goes on to say, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And this is the other alternate reality. If we've established in Scripture, and it's clear, we all live for eternity, there's two destinations, it's heaven or hell. Well, it's awkward, but we've got to talk about this. Charles Spurgeon, a great speaker evangelist from the previous century, he said, some would say, can't we just bypass the topic of hell? I mean, he's acknowledging, you know, 150 years ago. This is awkward, right? This is not an easy conversation. But then he went on to say, but if you think lightly of hell, you will think lightly of the cross. If you think little of the sufferings of lost souls, you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers you from them. It diminishes the price that Jesus has paid so that we could experience eternal life. So let's talk about key facts about hell for a moment. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this story uh, about a rich man and Lazarus that, that teaches us uh, uh, some important things that we just need to keep in mind about hell. And honestly, it's awkward. You don't like to think about it. But Jesus leaned into this topic often. He talked about hell. He talked about eternity. He talked about judgment more than you think he would. And when he talked about it, these were some of the key principles that, that he taught that are found in this story. It says in Luke 16, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now this is just a terrible word picture. Don't even think about that for too long because it's awful. Uh, what they're describing here in, in Jesus' story is this guy, it, it was about as bad of a situation as you could possibly imagine. Finally, it says the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet, which is another way to say paradise. When Jesus said to the man on the cross beside him, today you will meet me in paradise, it's the same words, the same concept. The rich man also died and, and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I, I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Uh, this is... It's a heartbreaking and terrifying scenario set up here because the first thing you realize is the reality of hell. Um, here you have this guy who is in a place of conscious torment and he is very clearly separated from God. There's a great chasm between us. No one can come from where you are to where we are. No one can come from where we are to where you are. Hell, the reality of it is, is a separation from the presence of God. And when you think about the reality of what that means, it really is a terrifying prospect. Because anything that is good, anything that honestly brings any type of real joy or hope or peace, it comes from God himself. 
So when you start to contemplate and think about an eternity that's separated from that goodness of God, it, it's not a good thought. It's awkward. It says, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. And what you see here is there's regret in hell. I mean, he remembers the people that he loves and cares about. He remembers every chance that he would have had to follow God, to, to say yes to Jesus. It's all right there. He remembers every single opportunity that he had. So it's a place of, of physical, of emotional, of spiritual torment. Because you are conscious of every single chance you had to, to turn your life around, to repent, to stop what you were doing that was taking down the path that led you to destruction and instead to say yes to Jesus. You remember every chance you had. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And that brings us to this idea of the reason for hell. I mean, in the beginning, what we see in scripture is that hell is a place that was created, not for us, it's created for the devil and his demons. But when sin entered into the world, and death by sin, that separated us from God. There's only two choices that we have here. We're gonna say yes to Jesus and spend eternity with him, or our sin, it, it separates us from God. And so when we talk about the reason for hell, it's, it's the sin that's in our lives that separates us from God. We need to be forgiven. That needs to be cleansed from our lives. And it's, it's Jesus that takes that away, that, that forgives us and sets us free. That's why it's so important that we make that decision to follow him, to say yes to Jesus, because that changes everything. It changes your eternal destiny. And I think a lot of times people ask that question, they struggle with, you know, if if God is a loving God, how, how could he send someone to hell? How could he do that? When the reality is the different question is this, what more can God do to keep us from spending eternity in hell? God sent his only son. That's how much he loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. He sent Jesus so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer, will not spend eternity separated from him but have everlasting life. Jesus has taken the ultimate first step toward us. He's created a new covenant for us with, with the blood that he shed for us on the cross. I would contend today that God himself doesn't send anyone to hell. We, we send ourselves. It comes down to the choice that we make. What are we gonna do with Jesus? And it's awkward. These are awkward conversations. No one likes to think about eternity, especially eternity separated from God. But it brings into focus how important these moments are and how important that question is, what am I going to do with Jesus? And I would encourage you today, this is the most important question you will ever answer. If you're here today and 
you're realizing I've never said yes to Jesus. I need to make sure that I've invited him into my life. I, I need to make sure that I've asked him to forgive me and, and to set me free. I don't want you to leave here today without taking that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I also want you to make sure that your relationship with him is up to date, that there's nothing that's a barrier between you and your walk with him. And so I want to invite you right now, whether you're here in this room in Goshen or joining us in Mishawaka or St. Pete or online, wherever you are, this moment is really important. It's an invitation to say yes to Jesus. And so I invite you to join me in, in saying this prayer together. And as this comes on the screens, would you just say this together with me? Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world that you gave your life to forgive my sins and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. I wanna ask you this today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you just in this moment take a chance to draw close to Jesus? It's really important that we make sure our relationship with him is up to date. We're not allowing anything to be a barrier between us and our relationship with God, but I'll tell you what, it's also really important to have an opportunity to in this moment identify, hey, this is a moment that was sacred. I said yes to Jesus for the very first time. and I wanna take a next step in, in drawing close to him. So if you're here today, I just wanna take this moment. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time today, would you be willing to raise your hand? It's such an incredible morning this morning. We've had three people who said yes to Jesus for the first time today, and I want to make sure that everybody here has a chance to do that. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got your hand raised, would you mind looking up at me right now? Because in this moment, I want you to know that God loves you with an incredible love. There's a celebration happening in heaven because you have said yes to Jesus. So I want to invite you today. As we close, I invite you. We want to give you a gift. We've got a Bible here that we want to give you. We want to help you take your first steps. If you have said yes to Jesus this morning, I ask you as we close, as we sing this song together, Keith's standing over here. He would love to give you a Bible to take these first steps with you and welcome, welcome you and celebrate a life that has been changed by Jesus. So I invite you as we stand to sing this song, come forward, talk to Keith. We'll give you this Bible and welcome you to the family. Let's stand together. Let's celebrate what God has done because he is changing lives and he's offered us a hope that nothing can compare with. And as we draw close to Jesus, as we say yes to him today, make sure that you're living life focused on eternity, investing your time, your talent, your treasure in the things that matter, that you're prepared, living in that hope that we have in Jesus. Let's celebrate all he has done and sing his praises today.